0: Well, hello and welcome to episode 215 of The call cool Room. It's your host, David Griffiths here, welcoming you into the chilliness of our large big room. And lots of interesting conversations to have here today. Really looking forward to sharing those with you. We're going to be having the third of the episodes that we recorded live with Maz out at Hawkers. Uh, Really looking forward to sharing that one with you in the second half of the show. If for some reason you haven't listened to the first two episodes which have come out in the last month or so featuring Maz and that discussion, probably a really good idea to go back and catch up with those ones as some of the conversations do continue on a bit. Uh, But as ever, really grateful to Maz for the time that he spent with us and um, really grateful as well for some awesome beers. The one that we're talking about out there with him today is the Apple Brandy Barrel Aged Strong Ale. Look, genuinely, it was about the last day of 2020 that I tasted that one and it shot right up there in my best beers of 2023 books. Uh, I think he's still got a few of those available online. Grab them taste them if you can. It's a magnificent beer. As ever, a really interesting conversation with Maz. Some really strong opinions uh, that you will hear. Uh, A bit of strong language as well, so let's not muck around. Let's just call that out. So if you're listening with the kiddies, you might not want to listen to the Maz bit, but that's uh, we love Maz and we love his opinions. And as you will hear, particularly right at the end of that interview, his passion for the industry and his desire for success uh, for everyone who's part of it is huge uh, and that is something that we really do Admire. Uh, and look, before we get to that, we're going to be talking to Nigel uh, Ayling. Uh, we've had him on the show before talking about the South Coast Ale Trail. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking more about marketing of breweries. We're going to have him on the show a few times through the year, and we kick off that part of the show with a discussion about the fact that Brews News has shut down. And look, I just want to do a big shout out to Matt from Brews News, uh, who has been unquestionably one of the leaders of our industry, uh, both in terms of ensuring that You, the general punter, gets to find out what's going on, but also just encouraging uh, really good communications between breweries and brewers and the general public. So that's going to be a huge loss, but I totally understand and respect why Matt feels the need for a bit of time and a bit of a breakaway. So, look, it's another one of those things where we really encourage you to support your local brewery, support your local Uh, media when it comes to craft beer, so many people who are passionate in this industry, but it's so hard to carve out a living out of it, as we have discussed many times before. Look, if you want to help us, well, how can you do that? Well, you do that by making sure, first of all, that wherever you find this podcast, you're giving us a like and a subscribe. It genuinely makes a difference. It changes how all those weird algorithms work, and it makes sure that more people find out about us just because you've done that. Uh, and obviously the other thing you can do to help out is to buy beer from our online store. If you search Coolroom Shopify, Cool Room Podcast Shopify, you'll get to go to the store you'll get to see all of the things that we're putting up there including the beers for our next sets of online shows and really that's what we're all about here. We love to send you out the beer so that then you can join us live on Zoom on a Thursday night uh, and taste the beers as we talk to the brewers. You can put your questions in, you can chat with them live after the show. Uh, we've got Hard road coming up. We've got the zythologist coming up, uh, and for all of our beer, yeah, scientific nerds, and I say that with great affection because you guys are some of the loyalist fans we have. Uh, the science-based uh, brewing that zythologist does is going to be really great fun to talk about. Uh, and then it's going to be Fixation and Tom Delmont, a real stalwart of the industry. Uh, he, I know, has all sorts of exciting things to tell us about with Resinfest coming up soon, uh, but also we can get under the under the bonnet of Fixation and hear everything that's been going on there over the last couple of years. Look, the other thing that I've been spending my time doing, uh, really exciting from my point of view, is getting things ready for the hair of the dog breakfast. Uh, As many of you will know, we've done the last few of those with Beer Deluxe, an absolute institution in the Melbourne beer scene. Good Beer Week isn't going ahead, but even like uh, a couple of years ago when there was no Good Beer Week, we're going to be doing the hair of the dog breakfast. Tickets for that genuinely will sell out. i have seen the menu that Talina is working on uh, and they've made an absolutely awesome menu. Make sure you're following our socials so that you don't miss out on that news uh, because tickets will go really quick once we put that out into the marketplace. Okay, look, that's a lot of intro from me. We've got a lot to talk about in today's show. As we've said a few times recently, the industry, the craft beer industry in Australia is at an interesting uh, time. And uh, today you're going to hear some of the things that are making it both tricky to navigate, uh, but also some of the opportunities that are out there for people who are passionate and want to push ahead. Let's get on with hearing those interviews right now. show today with a return visit from one of our friends Nigel Ailing. Nigel's back last time he was on we were here talking about the South Coast Ale Trail. Today we're going to be talking about one of his other adventures which is We Love Craft Beer. Nigel welcome back to the cool room.
1: Thanks for having me David.
0: A pleasure mate. How was your weekend? Uh, Still the height of summer here in Australia. It was stinking hot down here in Melbourne. How about where you are?
1: Yeah, you know, well, I'm on the south coast of New South Wales um, in a beautiful spot called Marimbula. Um, we're sort of enjoying probably some of the best weather we've had this summer. So nice warm days, uh, long afternoons, beautiful water temperature and uh, not too many visitors. So I, I can't complain at all.
0: <laughs> Did you get out to some of those breweries that we discussed last time you were on the show? Did you get out and have a nice cold beer somewhere?
1: Well, I didn't get to a brewery, but I went to a pretty uh, exciting and exclusive um, arrangement, which was at uh, Ryefield Hops, who are based uh, in Bamboka, which is about 20 minutes uh, inland from here. And they had a, a very impressive event called Dine in the Bines, which Ooh. was basically a long table dinner um, in amongst the hop bines, which are at the moment, you know, at full sort of height because they're about... a Two weeks away from uh from harvest, so yeah it was a it was a really great function um probably had you know close to 100 people there um it was done in the like in the sort of evening sort of from four till six or seven o'clock at night um and it was a beautiful warm night and they were uh yeah long table dinner by one of the local chefs amazing food and some of the beers that they've um have uh, done collabs with, Uh, um, these ones were from Ben spoke, but using right field hops. So uh, yeah, it was a really great night and uh, you know, something that you really don't get the opportunity to do very often. So pretty cool. That sounds absolutely magnificent. I'm very jealous
0: of that one. That Mm. meets Cairns of Melbourne down at the Flimkin Bowls Club.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well once a year. So uh, yeah, it was pretty impressive.
0: Now, as I said, we're here to talk. We love craft beer today. But just for those who haven't gone back to check the archives, let's just do the the quick overview of your journey in beer and how it is that you've got yourself to, to this point. Because you've been working in, I guess, both beer and marketing for decades now. Give, let's have the quick Nigel story.
1: Yeah, well, I guess my... The the part of my beer journey started back in the late 80s when I travelled to Europe um, and discovered German lagers and just sort of fell in love with beer. Um, And that sort of continued, you know, from then all the way right up to now. I've lost track of how many beers that I've had and tried um, and Untapped wasn't around then, but I'm guessing it's somewhere in the seven to 10,000 sort of different varieties of beers that I've tried uh, or different top. Beers I've tried over those years, so I've always had a really keen interest. Um, and yeah, back in 2015, I set up uh, We Love Craft Beer, which at the time was really a bit of a forum uh, for people to share their posts and reviews and talk about beer. So um, that was sort of, I guess, my uh, entree, if you like, into into working around the industry. Um, but yeah, for the last 15 years, I've actually run a digital marketing agency um so that's my that's my day job that's the one that actually pays the bills <laughs> good to have a job um, that pays the bills at least i'm told yes yeah. yeah yeah so you need those jobs uh so you can keep all your passion projects going like you know that we love craft beer
0: well let we'll get on to that in a minute but i guess it's a it's a very interesting time here in australia we're going to but the idea is that we're going to get you on a few times throughout the year to sort of talk marketing and how breweries and probably to a lesser extent venues can can tap into that kind of knowledge and, and get a feel for what they should be thinking about when they're marketing their their products. But big news in the Australian craft beer industry and particularly in that sort of journalism come promotion sort of area with Matt at Brews News um, folding up his typewriter, if that's what you do with the typewriter when you finish with it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a bit surprised. I think a lot of people were sort of surprised. Um, you know, he's been uh, what you call the industry storewall. Um, wall. for I think nearly 20 years reporting on the beer industry in one way or another. Um, and yeah, he, he, and the people that have worked with him have provided, you know, really valuable insights into, um, what's happening in the industry. I was, I was trying to think about it today and, and, uh, just get my head around like what's missing or what will the hole that will be left. And it's a bit like, it's like having all your news curated into one place, you know, like there's, there's no shortage of content, you know, we can go out and find, you know, everybody's press releases and information and what's happening. Um, but in a, in a, I guess in an area where information overload is, uh, is probably the main thing that we deal with. It was that curation of all that content into one place, whether it was through the newsletter or the social media or the website, or even his podcast, you know, it's like, okay, we can tune into that. We can get our half of our uh, half an hour of updates and we know we've sort of pretty much caught up on what's happening. So yeah, definitely there's gonna be a whole whole left there.
0: And part of what I was thinking when I raised that there was, you know, that's been around for 20 years. You had a similar forum really if we go back to those days when things like brews news was being set up facebook and other things were still only emerging we didn't have the youtubes we didn't have the tickety tocketies and all of these other sort of bits and pieces it was yeah. a very different sort of way that we got our news and and interacted with people back then i was more a home brewer than a beer drinker in one sense back then but all of those homebrew forums whereas a lot of that now has gone over to facebook and other places
1: yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, you look at that and you go, you know, again, information overload, like how do I, how do I now like there's, you know, one stage we went looking for that sort of stuff and you'd subscribe to a newsletter because you think, great, that's a great way to get all that information. And, you know, and then later on you realize, you know, hang on, I'm subscribed to you know 15 different newsletters and I don't have time to read my emails anymore. You know, like it, it went from, searching it out to basically being smacked in the head with it and that's one of that's one of the challenges with marketing really is like how do you cut through the noise how do you get your uh bit of information or your bit of content to i guess to the top of the heap or so that people are, are really paying attention
0: i mean it's it's probably a bit of an obvious setup question but just how important is that marketing like what examples would you give to people of businesses and, and other ventures, which have really seen a change because they got their marketing right? Or is it, you know, if you've got the right product, you'll be okay anyway, kind of stuff.
1: Oh, that's a, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Like, I, I think, um, you know, you can never afford to sit on your laurels. I don't think you can just go, I've got, I've got a good product, I'm okay. Especially in this industry at the moment. Um, I guess in terms of marketing, I think, you know, it, it, again, it's about getting the cut through. It's like, where, I mean, marketing one oh one is like, who are my customers? You know, who, who are they? What do they look like? Where do they hang out? Whether that's online or wherever the space. How do I, how do I craft my message uh, directly to them? So I'm not trying to, you know, the, the worst thing I ever hear in marketing is you say to somebody who's like, who's your customer? And they go, oh, everyone's my customer, and it's like, eh, not unless you're selling petrol or food, you know, basically. Um, not everyone's your customer. So, you know, understanding who your customer is, trying to target that customer, being where they are, and, uh, yeah, trying to find things that connect with them because, again, this information overload, we've really got to find ways to to get through to people and connect with them. Um, and that that's, that's a really difficult challenge, yeah. Do you think
0: breweries in Australia get it right more often than not or do you think there's room for improvement?
1: there's always room for improvement it doesn't matter what industry you're in and obviously some some businesses will do better than others um i think i think the trap is for a lot of people is just to do what everybody else is doing and watch what you know other people it's like you know i can remember when tiktok came out or you know twitter or whatever it was like everybody rush off and set up a tiktok account or rush off and set up another account for the new social media it's like well, hang that on. Sounds, a sec. That sounds like what I've been doing. That's a very good description. <laughs> well, but then you sort of go back and go, like, are you doing are you doing the ones that you're doing well? Like if you're already on Facebook or you're already on Instagram, are you doing that well? And and if you're doing it well, what sort of results are you getting? How are you measuring the results? You know, one of the things that, you know, I think, and it's common in all industries because I've worked across you know, multiple industries is people think as marketing is basically like, I'll throw some money at the wall. And, and, and this marketing thing and see what sticks, you know, uh, I'll give that a go and I'll see how it goes. And really like that, that's the, the easiest way to, you know, excuse the friends, but like piss a whole lot of money down the drain is basically just to go, I'll just give that a go and see how it goes. Like, you know that that's a sure way of of spending money and and wasting time and effort that you know is probably not going to result in in a good result because you you're not really targeted and you're not really doing anything really well. You're just trying to be everything to everyone and 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 again that's that's a that's a bad mistake to make in marketing.
0: I I see it a bit in other hats that I wear where people just think that marketing is effectively uh, using money to promote their Facebook posts. But with no view to the post itself being engaging to a new audience or to someone who hasn't seen all of it before.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is people look at marketing as being a silver bullet. It's like, oh, business is slow. I need to do some marketing. I need to get some new customers. And like, okay, so potentially that's one way that you can improve your business is by bringing in new customers. But also you can improve your business by, you know, increasing your profitability or, Uh, selling more to your existing customers, you know, like that and building on your existing customer base. And I think that's one thing that very often gets overlooked again in all industries. It's like, you know, it costs you five times as much get a new customer as it does to keep one of your existing customers and your existing customers are already loyal your existing customers are already advocates for your business like so you know just get one of your existing customers to sell sell one more thing to them or increase the the sales to them by five percent and you're going to save yourself a lot of money on marketing so marketing is not a silver bullet and um, you know it's not always the the best the first step to try and increase you know, profitability of your business either. I'm struck
0: by a lot of the marketing that we've received recently. And if you don't want to answer this, I can edit it out later on. But <laughs> obviously, as we get closer to Gab's hottest 100 time, we see a heap of marketing from yeah. breweries, particularly through Facebook and Instagram, but it might just be that I tend to look there more than other places, um, promoting their beers and promoting their products were you struck by how many ads there were around that time and again for for something like that which i guess is a fairly topical question at this time of the year how important do you think getting the marketing around that is
1: um i i think i think the short answer is it sort of makes sense to do it because you know there's some value you know despite all the you know the craft beer bogans and snobs and people that you know do all the reviews and stuff, saying you know it's a waste of time. Like from a from a, a marketing perspective, you know if you can land a good spot in that top one hundred, um, that there, there's some there's some great benefits that are going to flow off the back of that. So you know I, I you know if I was on a marketing team employed by a, you know a brewery, I'd certainly be uh, putting some marketing effort into doing that. I think the one thing that I noticed this year. Uh, which sort of makes, makes sense as well. And talking about trying to hone in on a product, like some years breweries would say, hey, we've put in 10 beers in the top 100, vote for your favourite. And, and this year what we saw a lot more of was we've put in one beer in the top 100, vote for that one, you know, because that really uh, focuses all the voting on one and that increases their chances of getting a better rating. Whereas if you spread it out over 10, uh, you know, you might get votes, but you've probably got a less chance of getting a, a high score. And I've, and I've seen that uh, actually happen in the results where, you know, last year breweries put in like three or four and didn't get in the top 100. And this year they put in one beer and they, and they scored really well. So that, again, that's about focus.
0: And how important is things like the Hottest 100 for getting the story of breweries out there? Do you think it's mainly just sort of reinforcing brands talking to their regular customers and sort of getting that brand loyalty up, or is there an opportunity in there to get it out to, to newer people?
1: Yeah, that sounds like a uh, a can of worms that uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt would love to to get hold of that question and, absolutely. And about. I think uh, I'm I'm channeling what Matt would say. he would go well it's exciting within the industry and it sort of builds up hype for a while, but what's it doing outside of the industry? Is it really bringing new people uh, to the industry to try beer? And I think probably the answer Matt would say is no, it's not probably bringing enough new people to it, uh, to the industry. And I think, you know, there's two things you look at, you know, from a marketing perspective, if you're in the industry, basically what you're trying to do is get a bit of the pie, right? You know, there's a certain amount of people buying craft beer there's a certain amount of breweries and you you're trying to carve out your section or percentage of that piece of the pie whereas i don't think anybody's really focusing on bringing like increasing the size of the pie you know and that's where uh you know organizations like the iba or gabs or whoever they are like that that should be their i think should be their focus like increase the size of the pie because we've already got enough people trying to eat at the trough, you know, what we need is more people being at the trough. If bigger pies. I'm
0: all about bigger pies. That's all good. Really. <laughs> yeah. So let's just talk perhaps briefly and really keen to sort of explore these ideas as we go through the year. But in terms of social media, if you were trying to grow the pie, if, you know, if you were a brewery who was trying to you know, expand into new bits of audience and, and get new bits of, you know, new customers, which of the various social medias do you think would be the, the the one to start with, and what would be the basic thing you'd suggest to people that they should be doing on it?
1: Well, that's a tricky one because it depends a little bit on your brand. So you know, like some brands and are going to reach out to different demographics. Obviously, you know, younger demographics probably more on Insta and and uh, maybe even TikTok. Whereas older demographics, like you know, me, middle aged white men, you know. Uh, you're probably more on on Facebook and things like that. I think I, I feel seen, Nigel. I feel seen. <laughs> I, I the one thing that I never do in when somebody comes to me and talks about marketing and they'll say, Oh, what do you think I should do? It's like, so the first thing is like, okay, as, as much as I might been working in the industry or been working in marketing, like I, I, I've got to say up front, like, I don't know the answer, right? So So what the first thing I always do is look at the analytics. So the analytics will actually tell you the data, you know? So if you're on four or five social media platforms, um, it's pretty easy to aggregate all that data into one place and look at it and go, okay, last month we spent, I don't know, 100, 300, 400 bucks on Instagram ads or whatever it was, and we didn't get any engagement, but we did one YouTube video and it went, you know, we got a thousand comments or whatever. Well, there's your answer, you know, like, um in marketing it's like look at the results see what you've done Uh, if if it didn't work out drop it or change it and if it did work out do it again because you're on you're on the right track so the you know especially in the age of digital marketing which is you know what we're in at the moment everything's trackable the data on everything so you know my my first uh, point of call is look at the data, and that'll tell you what's you know what's working for you and what's not, and where the opportunities are.
0: And is this something you think breweries can do internally? I mean, again, this is true of all businesses. You know, how much is it important to have that internal overview of it to make sure that the voice, I guess, is the voice of the brewery coming through? And how much of it can you push out to other people? Not so much people like yourself who operate on that meta level, I guess, yep. um, but more just you know the content creation of YouTube, Instagram and uh,
1: Facebook? Again, it depends a little bit on the size of the business. You know, if if you're a you know, a, a decent sized brewery and you've got, you know, wholesale operations and you've got you're employing, you know, sales managers and sales reps and stuff like that, I would think that most of those that size organisation would want to do it internally because they, you know, they keep control. They've got the, they know what the schedules are on new products coming out and all that sort of stuff. So I think in that sort of larger um, larger uh, brewery or the larger size venues, then you'd want to manage that internally. Whereas small ones, um, it, it, it does come down to resources. Like, is there anybody skilled within that organisation to do that? Or are you just getting... You know the brewery owner's daughter who's trying to fill in some time in between uni break or something to do it. You know, like that. There's, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, sometimes you're better off to to outsource it because you're going to get a better result. And even though it might cost you a little bit more, you it'll pay off. Other times, you know, you can you know you can I guess try and do some of it internally, but um, yeah. Yeah, it really comes down to what resources you have available within within your business, I guess. And so when a brewery rings up you and says, you
0: know, we need a bit of a hand, what's sort of your sort of starting point? You know, is it sometimes even advice to them? No, no, look, you're under control. You don't need a hand. Or, you know, is there always something that someone with your skill set can come and help out with?
1: Again, I'd just come back to the data. Like, you know, I, I can't, I, I would never make a decision without looking at the information first. And and the thing is, often they would go, oh, yeah, we're doing this with social media and somebody else is sending out our newsletters and we're paying somebody to do this. And I'm like, and I, I would ask, how's that going for you? And they go, oh, we don't really know, you know. It's like, well, okay, that's the first thing. Because whatever money you're paying out now, if you don't know what results you're getting, like, You know, it could be a total waste. It could be fantastic. You might be getting fantastic results. And if you are, then what you do is you increase the spend there. So again, I'd come back to the data, look at the data. And we've got, we use a really high level analytics program, which is designed for, you know, it basically aggregates all that information into one dashboard. So you don't have to log into your, instagram account and log into your google analytics account you just basically log into one account you can see it all there in nice shiny numbers and big big uh you know images and graphs and stuff like that which makes it really easy and i think once people once you show that to people they look at it they go oh oh really i didn't realize we were like you know had such a good following on insta or i didn't realize we were spending you know all this money on facebook and not getting any in return. So like that that's the real moment when people look at it and they go, okay, now I get it and and then you it's easy to guide them and say, this is what you need to do now because we've seen you know when you do that you get a good result or let's pull back from that because when you do that you don't get anything in return. Well, that makes total sense, I've
0: got to say that particularly the idea of having all that data in one place at one time and I will happily put up my hand or unhappily put up my hand and say, that I never look at it in that context. You know, from time to time, I'll go and sort of see what the followership or like what the response rate is on things like uh, like Facebook or on Instagram, but never sort of actually taking the time, which I probably should, to consider them all in light of each other and see where things are working, where they're not.
1: Yeah, well, it's just a matter of, you know, you know, so many people, again, they'll say, oh, you know, I went to this Instagram thing and they said, you've got to do this and you've got to post regularly and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, great. How's that going for you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um okay well just maybe before you spend you know another you know three four or five hours a week you know setting up a tiktok account and setting that up and doing all the creating all the content and the reels and whatever maybe have a look and see how how what you're doing is going you know and see if you can improve on that because again it's a lot easier to improve on something that you've already got in place than it is to go and set up something new again so it all takes time and uh Yeah, you want to make the most of what the precious time that you have if you're running the business.
0: Now, look, this is really just a bit of an opportunity to whet people's appetites for the conversations we're going to have during the year. But I guess the the question for you, it's still close enough to the start of the year to say, you know, what are you looking forward to with We Love Craft Beer in 2024? What what
1: are your goals? Well, so um, I I made the decision and it's probably... uh, (laughs) Couldn't have picked a worse time, but I made the decision this year to uh, focus entirely on working with the craft beer industry. You know, I've been I've run a digital marketing agency for uh, over 15 years now and worked with a lot of different industries. I worked in tourism, I worked in retail, I worked with sports because they're all industries that I've been around for a long time. And obviously, you know, I've had a keen interest in beer all that time, but I haven't necessarily gone out looking to work with. Um, businesses in the brewery, in the beer industry, and I thought, you know, it's time to combine that, you know, the passion uh, with the work. Um, I sort of feeling a little bit um, tired of working in the same industry and wanting a little bit of change. So it, it's funny because it's, I feel like it's a new start, but really it's not, you know, I've been work, run, doing digital marketing for 15 years, just doing it in different industries. And it's a bit like if you're an accountant, you know, like it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're still bringing something to the table. And it's for me, um, you know, I'm just, I'm still offering the services, working in the industry, marketing expertise, all that sort of stuff. But I'm just working with with what's probably a new industry for me. I've done a little bit of work in the past. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, the South Coast Ale Trail, um, I set up that two years ago. And that's been a, you know, a really great example of, Uh, working cooperatively within the beer industry you know we've got working with a number of breweries and doing a a big marketing push for them and I've really enjoyed that Um, so yeah my goal this year is I guess probably just to work with a few new clients in the beer industry and see if I can you know offer them the same sort of support and help that I've helped uh, with other people in other industries. Well, I think we're going to have a heap to talk about in 2024.
0: It's turbulent times, but even out of that, there can be exciting times as well. Tell us, how do people track you down if they're wanting to get some advice from you? And um, we will obviously put out a call to people to let them know that they can let us know what they'd like to hear from you about on the podcast as the year rolls on.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, best way to go is just through We Love Craft Beer, which is is the website. I mean, it's LinkedIn and socials and stuff like that as well. But uh, like everybody, I'm sort of trying to keep my own business up to date as well. But I did launch the new We Love Craft Beer website in uh, in early Jan this year, so that's all up to date. And if people want to reach out through there, they can. And like you said, you know, if we get, uh, I'm happy to come back and talk. You know, at other times during the year, um, I guess. It, the thing is, you know, figuring out what people want to hear about and you know we can obviously tailor a discussion around that so yeah if people have got things that they want to hear about uh, happy to uh, um, bring that up as a public conversation and see what we can do to, to help.
0: The Cool Room universe is usually not backwards in coming forwards with letting us know about their opinions on things and their their questions. So, mate, I'm sure we will have more of those conversations as we go along through the year. Nigel, thanks so much for making some time uh, in this busy time of the year as the real world kicks off. January's over, February's here, 2024 is well underway.
1: Yeah, thanks, mate. I appreciate the opportunity, David. And uh, yeah, to all the industry and people out there. Um, head down, hopefully it's, uh, it's going to get better.
0: Well said, brother. Okay, welcome back to the third of our little sessions here out at Hawkers. What a magnificent night it's been. The weather is just perfect. The wind is picking up a little bit. It's time to warm the cockles of our hearts, and we have exactly the right beer to be doing that with. We have, well, first of all, I just love the look of this can. But first of all, we have the Apple Brandy Barrel Aged Strong Ale. The smell, the nose on this is magnificent, Maz. I know you're not drinking beer tonight. You're drinking something else. (laughs) Pepsi Uh, Max. But give us a bit of an idea about what we should be experiencing in the glass and then let's have a talk about <laughs> the wrap-up of 2023 and then we're going to have some audience questions about this beer, about everything Hawkers and about everything else in the magnificent
2: limited releases that you have tucked away out here in the Reservoir. So um, we, <laughs> we may or may not be famous for doing a few battles every year. Um, so we, this year, I think, released 50,000 litres of barrel-aged beers. I thought you can say 50,000 releases, and <laughs> I was actually willing to buy that. <laughs> uh, pretty close. Um, no, we released, I think, 20 vintage beers this year um, in all sorts of barrels. So we got um, Barbados rum, we got Apple brandy, we got Willett uh, bourbon. We got uh, Willet Estate, which is the super rare Willits. Uh, we got Willet Estate Rye. We got, uh, fuck me, what else? Oh, uh, and we got maple barrel aged beers. Uh, th- this is, I think, a new one for Australia. Mm-hmm. We actually got um, barrels from RIS, which is uh, probably the US's most awarded maple syrup producer. And their top end um, maple syrup that wins all the awards is one aged in ex-bourbon battles. So I think they were either Heaven Hills or JD or something like that, um, battles that had maple aged in them. And once the maple finished aging, we got the battle with the maple left in it. uh, And we aged some beers in it. With this beer, it's our apple brandy uh, release this year. It's one of the apple brandy releases this year. We released our barley wine and apple brandy We kind of held on to this one um, till now because I also like drinking big beers in fucking sunny December. Uh, I I really don't care if you don't like it. And you can can buy it now and drink it when the sky goes dark. I don't care. (laughs) Um, I like drinking it now. Um, This base beer, our our white stout has changed over the years. So again, we're talking about the evolution of, of beers, right? So our white stout is originally brewed to a certain strength, aged in bourbon, and then cut back with fresh white stout brewed after the bourbon barrel aging. So the bourbon plays a kind of a very secondary role. Um, And that's when we add the coffee and the chocolate and the vanilla in it to kind of replicate the flavors of of the big stouts. In our second year of brewing white stout, it was such a runaway success. We were like, fuck, we have to do this again. Uh, We released a double bourbon barrel aged stout, which was basically the uncut version of the white stout. Now, normally we wouldn't brew it to a high ABV and we'd only slightly cut it back. Um, But we realized that if we were going to release a barrel only, which meant it had to be in barrel longer, uh, a lot of these barrels, because it was lower ABV, were spoiling, so we had to throw away a lot of those barrels. Third year going in, we brewed a true double-strength bourbon barrel-aged white stat. Um, so it finished much higher in ABV. It also rated much higher on untapped. Um, and this year we decided uh, the great untapped... Do you still check... Like last year you said you still checked? Yes, I still check on tap because I, I check on because sometimes you will pick up faults like someone will buy a bad can or something like that and they will rather than contact the brewery they feel the need to check it in on on tap which I don't really care about the rating but I don't want people to have a bad experience so I re- I always reach out and say um, have you had a bad can how can we fix this for you if hmm. possible um, it, it it I'm. The one thing that drives Hawkers beyond just the liquid itself is providing that experience to the consumer. You know when you buy a Hawkers that there was a lot of passion, put from the time it was an ingredient to the end product when it was delivered to you. It doesn't stop when we deliver it off to our third-party provider. If, we, if you ship with us, if you buy it somewhere and there's something wrong with the product, we will fix that. Uh, or at least try to fix it if you're not taking the piss, right? Um, you know, if you have a small dent in your can and you come up, well, fucking life is a bitch. <laughs> Calm down. But if there's something genuinely wrong with the product, I, we will do our best to fix it. Anyway, um, so this year we decided that before we added um, the coffee and the chocolate and the vanilla that, that make our White Stout, the base beer was super delicious. It's a strong ale. So we segmented part of it and put that in apple brandy, and this is what you're drinking today. It's the it's basically the base white stout. without. Tell us what a
0: strong ale is by style. Again, people will be listening to the podcast, whether they're in the Bahamas, whether they're somewhere else. They may not even know what a strong ale is.
2: It's a very loose term that can cover a lot of beers, right? So this year, for example, our bourbon barrel-aged uh, barley wine won the the trophy at the indies for uh, the best strong ale, which by the way we didn't collect the trophy. Oh, I was going to ask did you. Uh, that's a, did, you, did you collect the trophy? I am an advocate, as as many of you know, for independent beer. I believe strongly. Uh, in, in the passion and the creativity and the stars in the, in the eyes of people making this product. I believe the industry has some amazing human beings. With all its faults, it's it's a really fantastic, inspiring place to work and, and thrive and interact. We have an IBA that f- over the last few years has been stuck in this difficult place where they've been, it's almost like Stockholm syndrome where they're stuck in this space where they can't stand up to government. They feel that they're trying to push the envelope, but they don't want to upset anyone. They don't want to do what it takes. So, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a massive recalculation of the indie awards because there was a fuck up in the calculations. And they came up with this new scoring system, which I wasn't aware of because I, when I entered a competition, I don't, you know, in the Olympics, you win five golds, six silvers, three bronzes, the next guy wins five golds, less silvers, less bronzes. Uh, And it's based on how many medals. If you match the same medals, you go on to the next level. In the AIBAs, they're very clear. It's your top four average score. And if those match, you take the fifth beer. At the Indies, a couple of years ago, they said, nah, we're gonna divide it by the number of beers that you enter. Which means, if I'm a hazy brewery that does really good hazies, I could enter four hazy beers, win golds in them, and walk away with a trophy for the best brewery. Does that make me the best brewery? So I felt two years ago, and this is not a dig at the brewery that won, please. I felt the scoring system was not adequate and representative to bring out the best in craft beer. Because for me, a champion brewery is a brewery that brews in many different styles, scores in multiple different beers. You know, if Lebanon enters the Olympics with one guy who wins a gold medal, they're not the champion Olympic country. Right? It it fucking makes no sense. So I raised my concerns and, and screamed because if you actually calculated two years ago, under any other system, we would have won champion large. Last year... They came to me and they said, oh, you know, we fixed the system. We fixed the fucking uh, scoring. How is it this year? It's going to be based on not the number of beers you enter, but on the median of, the, of that category. So how ma- what is the average number of beers that the large breweries enter? And I said, okay, what's the average large breweries number so I can enter that number? Uh, we can't know until people enter. So you all enter a competition not knowing where the fucking goalposts are. And you tell me that the reason I'm entering this competition because I want judges' feedback, but then you penalize me for entering too many beers. Despite the fact that we win in every beer, no thanks, I'm not a part of this. And I had a whole argument back and forth with, with the CEO of the IBA and with the chairman of the IBA. Uh, and Richard said, trust me, trust me, this will work. It's a fucking great system. It makes <laughs> sure that... It makes sure that breweries don't win on a one-trick. They're not a one-trick pony brewery. And I said, trust me, trust me. I've been around as long as you have, and that's not going to fucking work. The ever argument of you got to change the system by being in it and not outside it, don't scream at people from the outside, try and do your thing, I succumbed to it. Because I don't want to rock the boat. They're doing their best. I don't think they're doing enough. So I said, all right. We entered the number of beers. And again, the brewery that won, if you actually look at the beers they won, we won a trophy, more golds, more silvers, and more bronzes than the, than the brewery that actually won trophy. But the logic there was, well, the industry had an average of 11 entries or whatever, 14 entries, and you entered more beers than there should have been. I had a trophy for a beer, but I didn't win. And they had less medals, and I didn't win. So from now on, I, I left the trophy where it belongs. It's It would have been a doormat here, so they may as well fucking use it uh, for next year's uh, entry. They can wipe out the name and po- give it to the next schmuck who enters that beer. There's a shirt <laughs> <laughs> It would have been a doorstop. Sorry, I said doormat. It should have been a doorstop. Um, I am I, 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 all for supporting the industry. I don't want to diss the, the IBA. I mean, it's, it's like the independence seal. I was part of the IBA. I never used the independence seal. And the reason I didn't use the independence seal, I believe strongly that our common cause is independence, right? The American Brewers Association gave away the independence seal to anyone independent, whether they were a member or not, because they wanted to fi- to increase consumer knowledge of what was independent and what wasn't. We made an independent seal that you can only use if you're a member of the IBA. Why? If we wanted an IBA membership seal, we should have created an IBA membership seal. I'm a member of the IBA. The independent seal should be available to every independent brewer out there because our fight is on the fucking shelf. When you walk in, you need to find out what beer is independent. And I'm not just talking about the CUB and Lion Nathan-owned beers. I'm talking about the house brands of the big multinationals, of the big nationals, right? Hey. <laughs> and, 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 and that is the cause. It doesn't matter if you're fucking Pablo Picasso. If no one gets to see the paintings that you make, you're irrelevant. We are the guys, us small guys, who are part of the, our local communities, who are responding and, and creating and doing new things. It give us a fair chance to have a fighting chance, right? And if the IBA doesn't recognize that the, that independence seal needs to be public, and used by anyone, not in the seal, their argument is, well, it's what draws people to to us. They pay their membership fees to us to use the seal. If you, as the IBA, this is your only selling point, rather than campaigning, rather than convincing people that you're campaigning for them, then maybe we shouldn't have an IBA, right? And so Hawkers is no longer, as of this year, we're no longer members of the IBA. And as of next year, we're not part of the Indies. And we're not going to compete anymore in this little community. Everyone gets a circle tug job. I I really don't care. If we're not going to be progressing the cause of beer, as Hawkers, were out. We put independent Melbourne-brewed beer on the front of our logo. So I believe in that cause. I had the seal, and I never used the seal. And to be comp- and that's another thing that's happening with our cans. I mean, we talked about how the government has fucked us sideways with taxes. I mean, think of the stupidity of this pregnancy warning that we had to all incorporate, right? Three colors, Three colors out of the six that we're allowed to use on our cans. It cost hawkers for 11 beers $2,500 per can. Not for the cartons, just per can. To change the can to incorporate that logo because they wanted to move from a black and white logo to a, to the three color logo, right? We finished that. So imagine times eleven. SKUs. We're talking thirty thousand bucks right there, just for the cans. Never mind dumping all the old cans. Never mind the cartons. Never mind all the all the associated costs. We finally got it done. And then the government goes, oh, how about we now put a nutritional information pack on it? (laughs) Fuck off. Get your shit together and put everything together in one go or pay us to do it. We're We're not your guinea pigs and we don't have five beers that we are selling. We're not CUB that sells 190 million cans of XYZ that can afford to split that cost. You know, we... We wanted to send our MIDI down to South Australia. It cost us $370 to register that can for the CDS program. That's just for South Australia. Imagine every beer we send down there, unless we group them together and somehow try and do it. Finally, the IBA got Deloitte and Touche, or PWC, or one of these big agencies, to convince the five CDS, buddies, to have a central deposit registration scheme where we can register in one place and report what we sell in one place. Why do you care how much I'm selling? I'm paying you the $3.50. Fuck off. Why am I doing paperwork? And, and, and somewhere like Queensland wants me to go and get a, get a stat deck certified by a justice of the peace. I report to you every month. At the end of the year, you want me to take time off To go sign another declaration to say the declarations before were truthful. What idiot bureaucrat is pushing this shit down our head? It's not just the cost of doing business; it's our time and effort in dealing with these morons. Now, Maz, I reckon that's a really good point for me to
0: intervene because otherwise, (laughs) otherwise, otherwise, you've indicated to me already that you've got to get up and go for a ride at At five o'clock in the (laughs) morning, and and I'm really worried that you would actually still be here. (laughs) On a rant which actually has a whole lot of legitimate stuff uh, in it, so I'm not trying to knock what you're saying there at all, but what I really want to do is give people in this crowd out here at Hawkers Tonight and Reservoir the opportunity to come and ask some questions about the magnificent limited releases. I've got a couple of questions before we do that, I mean, and first and foremost, it's been a big year for you, lots of limiteds as we've said before, we've joked about it a bit, but which was your favorite couple of ones that you made as a limited releases this year? Were there ones that you thought worked <laughs> yeah. well? And is there something that, given your time over, you would have done differently?
2: So I love I love our experimental series, right? I love delving into terroirs. And I can tell you in January, you are going to get the next release, which is an experimental series of three parts with yeast.
0: Now, that sounds... In- explain a little bit... For people, this time last year, we were literally talking terroir, sheer terroir. Yeah. But what's going to be in that yeast lineup, just roughly speaking? What's so going to the make f- that the, special? The
2: first one is going to be the same beer, same hops, um, American ale yeast, USO5 versus Quebec versus mm. thiolized yeast. So with, with enzymes to break down the thiols and see what that, has to, what that impact has. On the beer. So, we're talking about isolating yeast from different areas one from Norway, one from the US, and, and one from England, and seeing how that affects the actual beer without changing any of the ingredients uh, in there. The, this series will continue in our experimentation with terroir. And it's not just about the hops, it's about the yeast, and eventually, maybe even about the malts, right? Um, so, that, that series for me last year, we did three of them. Uh, One of them was taking the same hop from the same country, but in three different farms to show the impact of what the farmer does. Um, Then we took the same hop from the same farm and the same lot picked 15 days apart to show just the picking of the hop, how it can affect uh, the flavor impact. So late versus early harvest. uh, And that was the second one. And the third one was taking the same hop from three different continents and three different countries to see what what that does as well. Um, We'll continue this year. There's several planned releases around that. The other series that I really loved, and it was just a, a game that we played as brewers. We identified a certain number of hops and a certain number of malts. And the challenge for us was to do four beers for four different seasons. They all had to be IPAs. And we wanted to develop four different beers by just changing the ratios. And so we did the Triple West Coast, I think, was fucking outstanding this year. It was amazing. But all the series was super good. I really enjoyed all of it. Um, Next year, that series will continue, but it'll have a different theme. Rather than fix the ingredients, I think we're going to do something slightly different this year. Oh, that's very teasing. Not even just a, a little hint. It may have to do with the alcohol percentage being fixed. It may not. We will see. Um, no and, doubt. And, and also, also last year, um, some of my favorite beers were the battles. Mm. I think we've really, it, I think our battles are singing, our battle program is singing this year. You know, we were at Gab's, I was sitting with, with the guys from Cloudwater and they, they were blown away with the battle, so we released um, an imperial stat with them, which is, you know, the the, the new hyped up breweries like to, ha- to have thicker imperial stats, which is just the mash and temperature, right, and how you treat the mash. It's, it's not no, no magic secret ingredient. It's not better fermented or worse fermented. We, we I like more drinkable beers. So I like the old English way of finishing thin. Not thin. Thin is the wrong word. Finishing lower gravity because they're not thin. They're fucking big beers. But not having that oil slick mouthfeel. And today, one of you guys came up to me and said they had the 2016 Barrel Age Imperial Sat. And I can guarantee you those big... Oil slicky beers deteriorate more over time, so it's really nice to watch the journey of the beer as it progresses. Anyway, we brewed the beer with cloud water, and some and that beer, some of it went into battles, So there may be a second coming of uh, the lunar eclipse. Hopefully, it's not uh, Trump trying to stare at. It and, oh no, that that was <laughs> a, that was. Uh, now, oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. And is there one that, given your time over, you would have done something different, or that perhaps hasn't sort of aged and matured as well? Because out of 40 beers, you know, if you've got favourites, there must be a couple that perhaps didn't quite work the way you'd want them.
2: There was. I mean, uh, some of the stuff that we do is always experimental, right? It, 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 And it's a journey. And people kind of go, I fucking, I don't like that bread shop. I, I love the experimental series, for example. Like, they were so far scored apart. It's like, dude, it's the same beer. Like, and, and the purpose of this beer wasn't to demonstrate this, this wasn't our choice of hop. Our cho- I, the purpose of this beer was to demonstrate the difference between the hops. So so appreciate for what the beer is rather than that. Um, but s- some of the beers I would have done differently. Um, it's, no, no, I mean, no, not really, not really. I like our beers. I like the journey we were on. I think they were all justified. And, and yeah, it's, it's it's a journey. Good stuff. Look, we're going
0: to be uh, giving people here in the audience who've come out today. Thank you to everyone who's come and joined us out at Hawkers in Reservoir. Now is your chance to come and line up and ask your questions. I know we've got a few out there, so we're going to rattle through them relatively quickly. Come and stand next to me so that you can ask your questions directly into the microphone. And uh, and just give us your name as well when you Aww. do that, so that we can uh, get a bit of feeling for oh. how tonight's working. <coughs> ladies. Yeah, get evening, Nick here. Um Thanks for having us. Beautiful, uh, beautiful beers as always. I had a question about the ABA, but I think you've already answered the that. ABA. The ABA. So, No, no, no. I don't want to get back on the ABA. I think you've answered that. It's not about the ABA itself. It's more about different things.
2: Um, the question then will be, have you ever considered selling beer in kegs to the consumer? Yes, we have. We actually sell them online. So if you do have a keg... The problem with kegs is... They're very difficult to ship around. So if you're willing to collect a keg, we're very happy to sell you a keg. Um, the only difference is because the kegs are so expensive, we ask for a deposit. And when you bring the keg back, you can have your deposit back. So we do sell kegs. We are thinking about the 5-liter kegs and the 10-liter kegs. I don't know how much pull they have.
0: Uh, no, no, the answer is 20-liter PT kegs, yeah, for sure. Um,
2: That's a pony. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, we, we already sell the 20-liter uh, PET kegs to, yeah. to the export market, so yeah, yeah potentially yeah. we'd it look works, at that. It works very well, yeah, yeah. works very well. Um, Sorry, another question, if I can? Yeah. There's, there's no wheat beer here. Yes. You know why? I know why, because it doesn't sell in Australia and Australia should be ashamed <laughs> of itself, <laughs> for, for real. But have you considered making a wheat beer? I, in my previous brewery at 961 Beer, I had a wheat beer. Yeah, which one? A wheat, beer uh, or a, a, wheat, wheat? a No, no, a wheat like a, like a oak garden. A oak so, a, a so with coriander beer. seed yeah, and... Yeah, and the, beautiful. I, I don't think there is a need for a wheat beer in Australia because a lot of the hazies now cover that flavor profile. Sure. Without, 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 the I understand that the yeast profile of the German uh, and sometimes the, the wheat beer and that, but they're so similar... I think the market dictates to some degree what we brew. Of and course. I'm happy with the hazy where, where we are.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.
2: Next along. So this is Darren just reflecting back six days ago to the last day of Canvent. The barley wine. Versus bourbon, barley wine. Bourbon barrage barbie wine, barley wine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Can you say Barbie wine, my friend? Barbie, wi- Barbie <laughs> wine, my
2: friend. Barbie wine. I've had a few yeah. of them. Um, which, which would be the closest
0: release that you have that we can buy on a regular basis as opposed to a
2: one-off? Our bourbon specialist? barley wine. It's, that it's, would be the closest. It's regular? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it's every year in our vintage series. So, yeah. we. Uh, well, I mean, this year we released four. Oh, fuck. Uh, if you include the Canvins, maybe we released five, six barley wines. Yeah. Um, so this year there were two Canvan barley wines. There was um, the Canadian. Uh, yes, there was. Uh, Canadian. What was it? I can't it? remember uh, which day it was. There was twenty four. Bo- both, both on the twenty-fourth, both on Christmas. So it was that if you were up for Christmas, it was Hawker's barley wine versus Hawker's barley wine. It was really great. If you didn't drink barley wines, you were fucked for Christmas. I don't. Maybe it's a good opportunity to to get barley wine into the throats of the consumer. So it was great. Um, we had one with maple and pecan, which yes. I loved, and then. It's a pastry barley wine, which is a thing that we're doing at Hawkers. I don't know it if it's a thing. thing. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can get barley ones regularly. I love barley ones. I've been pushing barley wines mm. forever. Thank you. Cool. Naomi. Hello. Okay, I have a question for you. The label on
0: most of your cans now says that they are vegan friendly. What does that actually mean? What makes a beer vegan friendly?
2: So we're asked this question a lot by our consumers because I I appreciate that some people are vegan friendly. By the way, on top of having a vegan friendly sign, our beers, um, we have tested four of our beers for gluten content and I can Mm. say four of our beers that we've never changed the recipe for. Uh, because we use clarax in the brewing process are gluten reduced they're not gluten free mm-hmm. but they are very low in gluten where it is not detected it's not safe for gluten intolerant people so celiacs, yeah. for celiacs but it is if you're gluten intolerant our west coast our pale ale our pilsner and our um uh, <laughs> lager uh rover lager they're all <laughs> gluten reduced as for the vegan sign it it, it Puts at rest. Uh, there's, a, there's a constant question: Do we use um, um, diatomaceous earth in the filtration, which is made from fish fossils? Do we use any Irish? Do we use any products of animal products? So we thought it would be a good guide to have on our cans that they are vegan friendly. We also have a guide on our cans if they are cellar ready, if people should cellar them, because some of the big beers we release are not made to be held on to for very long. And the last one is we've developed a label. We've developed another icon on our labels that says um, uh, "Hops Fade, Drink Drink Fresh" to tell people that this is best consumed fresh, unless you're not looking for the hop profile in the beer. Because beer, you know, even your Double West Coast IPAs and your hazies, when they age. One of the one of the great conversations I had with Gordon Strong was he tried our Triple West Coast and he said, "What is a Triple West Coast IPA? It's a fucking barley wine." just labelled differently. And if you look at the style guidelines, that's exactly what it is.
0: Mm. Thank you so much. We're going to ask a few more audience questions, but you've touched on something interesting there, and one of the audience questions that I had the responsibility for asking tonight was about when you're producing beers, when you're thinking about how long they're going to age in the can, and particularly when you're going to enter them in a competition, do you make sure that you're brewing them at the right time to be in front of the judges? Or is it just a bit more random than that? That you've just got to make the beer when the chance is in the tank system to make the beers.
2: We we that's a, that's a great question. Some breweries actually brew specific, modify the recipes to brew for competitions sometimes. So they'll add a bit more hops just to bring out a hop character, or they change something in the in the recipe. We don't, um, and and we enter whatever we have. Sometimes the guys enter the wrong batch, in and and in the competitions as we've done many a stout. times stout is, is the most famous one that. 10 years even even our west coast we've entered the wrong batches uh, we've entered the, we've brewed the batch and then fuck no that's we've entered the wrong batch that wasn't the freshest batch we've had um we're so in we try to be so in control of our packaging our beers tend to age really well uh, whenever they are we will sometimes try to time things, but we run a big brewery and we don't have the capacity to brew for competitions only. I mean, last year I was flabbergasted. This is credit to Brick Lane. They brewed 50 beers that weren't available to the public on their pilot system only for their brew house that made it into the competition. Power to them. Great. Uh, If you can do that, great, but we can't at Hawkers.
1: Hello, Matt. It's Michael from Warramanga. My question is, you mentioned earlier that you were going to become monogamous for one of these beers? Our West Coast IPA. So my
0: question is, of these beers we've had tonight, which would you shoot, which would you shag, and which would you marry?
2: (laughs) Which would I shoot? (laughs) Which would you shoot? Which Which would I shag? Which would you shag, and which would you marry? Oh my God, I'd marry the West Coast IPA for sure. Um, Hi, my name is Sandra.
1: Um, I just want to ask, if you're not drinking Hawkers, what do you drink? What, what are your tipples? Like whiskey, wine, beer, spirits? What are they? Give us your top tips. Pepsi
2: Max. <laughs> um, uh, not Pepsi Max. Not non non-alcoholic. Not, not, not I love wine. Um, to be honest, I am discovering new world wines. I don't understand this obsession with grapes, grape varieties. I no, no, no. no, no. I shouldn't don't be get su- started. I shouldn't be supporting them because of the tax. No, but I, I love wine. Um, I, I, I am an old world wine drinker. So I find vineyards in France that have developed blending over years and the consistency of being a grown crew over the years. Amazing. I don't understand when people go, I like Shiraz. Because what Shiraz? From what terroir? What year? And how was it treated? So it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. I'm discovering all these new uh, fantastic wines from New Zealand and the US and Australia. I'm used to more old world. I love whiskies. I'm as much a fan of Irish, Scottish, bourbon, whatever whiskies. Uh, now some of the Australian whiskies as Favorite well. Favourite distilleries. Favourite distilleries. Um, th- there's some that I have emotional attachment to, like mm-hmm. villain, for example. Although it's owned by the big guys now, um, I like uh, some of the smaller ones in the U.S. So I like Willet. I find Willet family fucking phenomenal. I like Hudson. I like um, uh, I like some of the gins as well. I like uh, I like some of the I, I hate vodka. I think vodka is just you know making a spirit that's clear and meant to taste like nothing, like just fucking drink water if you wanted to. But I, I love a lot of things i i have a lot of um time of day for mead i like well-made ciders french ciders not the sweet commercial shit that you can get but like more traditional french ciders that are cloudy and made in farmhouses and things like that uh, i love lambics i fucking love old school brewing i west Valtorin is still to this day my favorite beer I love beers made by Sean Hill, who is the biggest beer geek I've ever met in my life. And every time he talks, I my eyes roll over because it goes over my head. I don't understand half the shit he says to me. Uh, but I respect the passion and the, the amount of care that goes into those. Thank awesome, you. awesome. And, and some Australian breweries as well, genuinely. Like I, I love a lot of Australian breweries. And you are one. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name's Luke. I'm a first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, I've jumped the queue and I've got two questions. Okay. First of all, you discussed your love of bottled beer. Yes. Do you still have a bottling line up the back in the corner? We do have a bottling line that's gathering dust. We're actually trying to sell it so we can raise some money to pay the last year's losses. So if anyone wants a bottling line, let me know. Next question. Oh, and secondly, what the hell is a white stout? (laughs) Um, All right. So so white stouts for me, and and this is a personal, personal journey, right? I discovered White Stats. Uh, the, all right. Rewind a bit. A <laughs> couple of really great characters in the Australian beer world. Two people that I have a lot of respect for. Um, Dainton, who used to... Not Dan Dainton from Dainton Brewery, but his first name is Dainton, who, who uh, traveled to the U.S. and became the head brewer as New, at New Holland. And his partner back then, who was the head brewer at, I think, West End, and then uh, she was at Little Creatures. They met at Little Creatures. Kylie, who then went to Bell's Brewing, who was responsible for two hearted ales and all those great things that came out of um, Bell's, some of the most coveted IPAs in the world. She was there. She became their head of production and their VP for production. And you know, two two rock stars of the brewing world in in in, in craft beer in Australia that never. No one knows about in Australia. They all moved to the U.S., made their names there. Dainton came back. They came back a few years ago. Kylie used to be a grifter. Now she's gone back to working for one of the evil empire. I love her to bits. I think she's awesome, and she's one of the coolest people I've ever met. Dainton worked for Mismatch for a little while, got their shit together until we all know what happened at Mighty Craft. He's now moved back, I think, to the U.S. Anyway, Dainton was the guy who brewed the white stat that inspired me. And I don't know how much you know about New Holland, but New Holland's biggest beer is an imperial stout that's bourbon barrel aged called Dragon's Milk. 55% of what these guys sell is this one fucking beer. They have a regular flow of bourbon barrels between them and the distillery. At any point, I think they have some crazy number, like 2,000. 500 barrels or something absurd. I mean, this brewery makes, what, 5 million liters or 3 million liters, and half of it is one bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout. I was in awe. And so they wanted to reuse the barrels for a second use, and they reused partially some of those barrels for imperial stouts, but then they aged a strong ale. And the aim of that white stout was to create a beer Of those, kind of the bourbon is in the background. It's not the primary driver behind that beer, but they wanted a beer that tasted like a stout, but didn't look like a stout. And so they looked at the notes, the flavor notes that they were achieving, and they tried to replicate them in a light, strong ale. Which if you think about our whole trip, our whole journey about terroir and trying to change the conversation in beer to flavors and palate descriptors rather than ingredients... This is another extension of that. You're picking up the coffee, you're picking up the chocolate, you're picking up the roastiness, but it's not a stat. And that, that, to me, was what our white stat was.
0: It's a great answer. And we have one question left.
1: One question left from Tony.
2: Tony our, uh, Tony X Hawkers, who used to be our CFO. He's the, this, this could be good. He, he, he's the man I made grey-haired because of all the yeah, shit I spent. Right, look
1: at the grey hair. Uh, my question Mason is like during my time with hawkers we did some really great co- we did some really great collabs yeah. with liberty and bowen luke and st Hildegards
0: and those sort of places i was wondering there's two parts to the question one which of the collabs you've
2: done over your time with hawkers has been your favorite and is there any plan to do any more over the, the next 12 months yeah absolutely i mean for me uh, uh, collabs are not a marketing exercise right a lot of a lot of Brewers these days, I feel, use collabs as a as a cross brand marketing. No, nothing wrong with that. If you've got brands and you want to increase each other's strength and build on each other's strength, fine, great. But for me, collabs, and Tony would know, we we would be hands on involved with the brewing and the conversations and developing and 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 really, it's a it's a labor of love that I mean, Bo and Luke went through. Um, it's originally and against the grain beer, and we kind of bastardized died. Uh, bastard dies it and made it Australian by putting it through rum barrels. Um, over the years, my favorite collabs have been against the grain, uh, because that that beer, Bone Luke, and at the end of it, me me, we we all got a tattoo together at the at the parlor. So. it was my first tattoo, and it was my son's name. So I fucking love that beer. <laughs> the other collab that I really loved making. And for me, it was the foundation of our West Coast IPA, was the Knife Party with Liberty. It it wasn't Knife Party. It It was Knife Party, it was called Knife Party. With Liberty Brewing, because I think Joe Wood is one of the best technical brewers in the Southern Hemisphere, if not the world. And we learned so much. This man is amazingly generous with his knowledge. A very dear friend. And he helped hone in our understanding of water chemistry and how it can accentuate hops. And he really took Hawker's brewing to the next level just through his generosity and sharing knowledge with us. And so for me, this beer, uh, in large part, is, is Alex Lovelock meets Joe Wood and and that kind of collaborative uh, atmosphere. We do plan a lot of new collabs. Um in the same spirit, but we're not just gonna jump over um, the collab. Oh, one more, one more collab that I, I love that I think was a disaster, but I loved it. Is our Aquavit Barrel Aged Wheat Wine with Crux Fermentation? That was actually really. Good. <laughs> that was one of the best fucking beers ever. And conceptually, this is this is Larry Sudder. For anyone who doesn't know Larry Sudder, Larry Sudder was the head brewer at. Um, Deschutes Brewing and before Deschutes he was with one of the big guys I think it was Molson Coors I think he was the head brewer at Molson Uh, Larry quintessentially created American Porters and another amazingly generous wonderful human being great friend of mine Um, and we developed this recipe of brewing a wheat wine in aquavit barrels, that would make it more spicy and develop that develop those off flavors. Didn't didn't sell very well because people the market wasn't ready for it back then. I think it's still tasting great, um, but that was that was another one of those um, collabs that I loved.
0: That's a great answer. I've got to say that I love the technique there. I love the fact that so many people have joined us out here live at uh, Hawkers in Reservoir. Uh, I love the fact we've got first-time listeners or first-time callers, many-time listeners. I really love the techniques of those who've come later, though, who can understand how, the way to ask two questions is to say, it's a two-part question. It's not really a two-part question at all. You've just got two questions. <laughs> and you've found a way to ask both of them and I love that. Tony, thank you for being out here tonight. Thank you to everyone, everyone who's make, joined us. Can I, make, tonight? can I make a finishing statement? Just uh, I, I thought I was going to get away with editing this into three episodes.
2: It's clearly going to be a four episode. No, because this is the, to me, this is very important. I am part of a greater... Guys, I am part of a greater industry and I value everyone in this industry and I value very much the support that you guys have given us over the years. This is, a, this is a cry from an industry that is deeply in pain. And I carry the voice of everyone that is in pain in this industry. Please be conscious that a lot of brewers are in pain and are at risk of going out of business this year. They need your help, they need your support. And yes, every dollar does count. So when you do go out there and buy beers, please, please, please try and buy from anyone who is independent, who is local, who is part of your community. Because they are hiring, they care, they hire your local people, they give back to the community, they're an integral part of this community. And these are genuinely good people out there. So this is my 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 finishing cry for the, for the year. Normally, I try to finish on an angry... <laughs> more more douchebaggy way, but but it, it is genuinely important that the the, the the voiceless get their voice across every time we, we do this. Uh, and so, thank you for your support. It is it does not go unnoticed, and it is very touching. But I ask you to, it is hard for everyone, but dig deeper when you do buy beers, and, and support your locals.
0: In the same way, Maz, that you've just thanked everyone who's come tonight and who listens to this and does that support of local breweries. Uh, I want to thank you for giving up your time at a really busy time of the year. It's obviously, you know, the 29th of December here in Australia. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you've opened the brewery, you've welcomed us all in, and you've spent the time, hours and hours tonight talking about the industry, talking about where we're finishing up in 2023, talking about the pain, but also talking about the really good fun bits. And we really look forward to coming back in 2024 and doing this all again and having had a great year in between. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. It's my pleasure.